pop quiz. Cavs fans, don't look it up, you cheating sons of bitches. If I asked you right now, after that magnetic performance from Donovan Mitchell, who leads the NBA in net rating and offensive rating, your answer would be, and I said, don't look it up, you cheating sons of bitches. It's Osman. Wouldn't have guessed I was going that way. The old misdirection. But for guys logging over 25 minutes a game, Osman atop the NBA in offensive rating, sitting at 135.1. And net rating, Robin Lopez actually is the one who leads the league if you don't count minutes. But for guys who log over 25 minutes a game, Osman coming in at a 29.7. Incredible. Ingram just behind him. Giannis just behind Ingram. Unbelievable. A stat is a stat. I don't care. It's three games. It's impressive. And beyond him, we know the other big stat. Two and one. Donovan Mitchell. Definitely in the conversation. For week one MVP. Hit the intro. Two hands. That'll bring the house down. Three on the way. Good. Garland spins down the lane and laid it in. This crowd has erupted. Welcome to Fear the Fro. A podcast covering the Cleveland Cavaliers and the NBA with the voice of Fox Sports Radio. Figure out a way to stop it. Listen and subscribe anywhere you get your podcasts. Here it is. My favorite show. And now, your host. His name is Bob Schmidt. Welcome to the Fear the Fro podcast. I'm your host, Bob Schmidt, lifelong Cleveland Cavalier fan. Voice of Fox Sports Radio. Voice of the Dan Patrick Show, Colin Cowherd, amongst others. But the most important part... Cavs now in the upper echelon of Eastern teams, tied with a bunch of squads for third overall. The Celtics still undefeated. The Bucks undefeated as of now, 2-0. And then right behind them, we got a clump of four teams. The Hornets, the Cavs, the Wizards, and the Hawks. You can put them in any order you want, but the Cavs have to be above the Wizards, right? We did just beat them. So, as we head into week two, there is one notable trend We need to spend a significant amount of time on on this podcast, and that is the return on investment, the return on trade investment of Donovan Mitchell. Because by any metric, after one week, definitely top five MVP candidate. I don't think that can be argued. I don't think anyone would waste their time arguing with it. Because again, this is only after one week. We have a three-game sample. But in Darius Garland's absence, you see the night and day difference between what we went through last year, and this is no shade uh, on Ricky Rubio or on anyone really who had to stand in, Brandon Goodwin, others, but the fall-off from two elite guards to one superstar guard who's had to carry the show while Garland's been out has not been that great. In fact, if there's one thing I take out of this first week, it's that Mitchell is built to be able to absorb more usage. He is having, undoubtedly, his best start to the season that anyone could have hoped for. Let's go to the numbers, shall we? I think it's fair to say the distinct favorite for the 3-0 Boston Celtics for the MVP is Jason Tatum. Give that man credit. 35 points a game, averaging 8 rebounds a game, chipping in a few assists, a steal, a couple blocks, 1.7 blocks a game. That's impressive. Tiny sample, but the guy I think most people would peg as the week one MVP. However, that was buoyed by a 45-point performance. So those scoring numbers, 
perhaps a bit inflated. You can make the same argument with Mitchell. He did get the benefit of an overtime period in which he padded seven points onto his total. Through the three games, we're talking about a guy averaging 33 points, seven assists, and over five rebounds per game, two steals a game. That's amongst the best in the NBA for the superstars. A guy who the big question coming in was, well, we still got two guys who can't guard. Watching these games, Donovan Mitchell is defending. I don't know what the advanced stats will tell us over the course of this season, but the eyeball test tells you he is trying his ass off out there, and he's fighting through everything. He's fighting on the boards, fights for second chances. I know there's a narrative where when you have a guy who carries a massive amount of usage and load that they simply can't dial in on the defensive end, but maybe it's just because the season just began and everybody's fresh, but three games in, Mitchell's bringing it on both ends of the floor, and the amount of usage he has to have on the offensive end right now with Garland out is absolutely bonkers. This isn't just volume gunning. He didn't have a very efficient night tonight, which was largely due to the fact that in the fourth quarter, his shots just weren't falling. He was two of nine in the fourth quarter. But if you take that game out, three games in a row now, Donovan Mitchell has shot over 50% from the floor. Tonight, while he finished 12 for 29, if you take out that bad fourth quarter, 10 for 20 the rest of the game. And most importantly, while he had a couple big turnovers in the fourth that really made me cringe because if they had managed to give that game away, it would have offset basically everything that he did not tonight because we would have gone away remembering the, the strip that the Barton slap away when he reached around behind him and then got out on the fast break for the dunk and then the turnover in the backcourt when he was bringing it up, which allowed Beal to get a bucket. And essentially that is what that, along with Kuzma having a couple solid drives and Porzingis hitting a huge three, that allowed them to tie it up and take it to overtime. But in overtime, Mitchell showed up. And the bucket that he made, the and one he made to seal it, everybody watching that game, from Cavs fans to Wizards fans to the announcers, they knew what was coming and they couldn't stop it. He split the guys at the top outside the three-point line, got to the rim, and both, you could have called a foul on both Porzingis and Kuzma. Because he threw it high off the glass and both those guys just tried to jump through him. So that was the backbreaker for that team. And ultimately, the Cavs ended up winning a game that they very well could have given away. Now, the first quarter, I don't really know. There are some things to take away from this game. The first was, in the first quarter against the Wizards, the Cavs seemed to be trying to get Mobley established. And how I felt in that moment was... He's not at a point where he can out-physical Kuzma. And we saw it kind of rear its head later in the game when Kuzma just went through him, going to the rim on a transition attempt. In Evans' defense, he was backpedaling. But Kuzma put his shoulder down and had that game gone poorly, and even though we did win it, that highlight will likely appear in meme form somewhere because Evan just got ragdolled. Kuzma went right through his chest, and Evan went flying out of the play. So in the first quarter, I thought, well, we gave it to Evan a lot. He tried to show that he could overpower Kuzma, and that was not working. But Jared Allen was making Porzingis work, and it happened more and more over the course of the game. And again, second game in a row. These are the minor storylines that are not going to get a lot of attention because the overall minutes we're giving these guys are so minimal. But Robin Lopez, again, tonight, six points, six rebounds, three of four from the floor. And 
he put in just a falling down, flip it over his headshot that that physicality with that discretion is the type of thing we've, we've had physical centers. We have a physical center right now. Drummond had that physical ability, but what he didn't have was the ability to play within himself, set screens, doesn't call for the ball, just does the job asked of him. And after preseason, I probably would have said, you know what? I thought Diakite outperformed Robin Lopez, but Lopez and Neto are showing you what you get out of veteran players who we don't ask much of them. Collectively, those guys only played 22 minutes of total floor time tonight. Neto was only out there for eight minutes. Lopez, just 14 minutes, but it was a big 14 minutes. It was an impactful 14 minutes. And Love also hit the glass out there. Between those two guys, that's 13 rebounds you got out of guys who basically occupied a part-time starter's allotment of minutes. 28 minutes for those two bigs, and they did everything you could ask for in spelling Allen and Mobley. Now, Mobley, not particularly great tonight, but he did have some key moments when you needed them. 10 points, 7 rebounds, but here is the big stat. And this was a big stat for the team overall. 22 of 25 from the line for the team, and Mobley, 6 for 6. Didn't miss a single free throw. As you recall, that was something which was starting to become a problem as we shut down the season last year. He fell off every month from All-Star break on to the point where he went from being around a 75% free throw shooter to below 60%. And it seemed like, okay, something was in the guy's head. He has come out, dialed in. Now, not a great game from him. In fact, I would say that he's off to a bit of a slow start this season. The Bulls game, hyper-efficient. But to this point, I would say that Jared Allen has come out with a consistent level of energy and rim protection. And and tonight, another big double-double, 15 points, 14 rebounds, a couple of blocks, to go with what was another excellent game. And if you're looking at the Cavs over the course of these three games, clearly the story is Mitchell. Clearly, he has shown that any reservations we may have had about trading him, and and I, I myself said it, I'm going to go back and find, I thought, well, you know, we paid a king's ransom for this man. But he is showing that, you know what, you cannot put enough value on a quality like the ability to take over a game and do it in a way where even though Mitchell takes a high volume of shots and he's doing it fairly efficiently again tonight shot 42% from three made five of his 12 attempts was eight of nine from the line had a few steals had a block the turnovers will come down as Garland gets back in the mix but you can live with the turnovers if he's giving you everything else that he's giving you proven to be a very effective creator just due to the gravity that he alone possesses. So guys like Dean Wade, guys like Kevin Love and guys like Osman. Osman is having a start very similar to what we saw last season. If you recall last year, he and Kevin Love came out of the gates and that unit together was incredible. And Osman is picking up where he left off to start last season. Consider this stat. Osman is averaging 12 points a game. In the first half, over these first three games. Over the whole game, he's averaging 16 points, three assists, and two rebounds. But just in the first half alone, he's giving you 12 of those points. And he's shooting 70% from the floor. He's shooting 80% from three-point land. Unbelievable. 
41 minutes, 36 points. This guy has been a bucket, and he's done it with only one turnover, which is why he leads that stat we spoke about earlier in that rating. He has been the story at small forward. We knew that Levert was going to start. We knew that Okoro would be in the mix. Okoro is quickly playing his way out of the mix because for a guy who is supposed to be the best defender of the group, I will admit, Osman did not look good on defense tonight. But it did not matter who the Cavs put on Beal. They were running our guys ragged on screens. And whether it was Okoro or whether it was Osman, I, I thought Osman got exploited the most in those situations where he had to try to get over screens. But in general, it was just a fool's errand to try to stay with Beal tonight. And he did an excellent job being aggressive, forcing the action, and got enough out of Kuzma, and got a good first quarter out of Rui, and then got a good first quarter out of Porzingis, who then disappeared until late in the fourth. He, he, after 10 points in the first quarter, he did not score again until there was six minutes left in the fourth. And the same can be said for Rui. He gave you 10 points in the first quarter, finished the game with 16. They went away from him inexplicably for huge chunks of this game. And I thought some of their bench guys played admirably. I thought DeLon Wright was pretty solid. I thought Rui was good. And I thought Gill was terrible. But Gafford was solid. He was play- he was setting aggressive screens. He was trying. He was making it difficult for our bigs to finish some of those looks around the rim. But overall, the story of this game was that Beal was unbelievable. 27 points, super efficient, shot nearly 70% from the floor. He only took 16 shots. Now, this compared to Mitchell, who took 29, and he made nearly as many. So it wasn't on him that they lost. But the big story was the free throw shooting and the rebound disparity. Because just look at the offensive rebounding. The Cavs got 16 offensive rebounds to just four for the Wizards. And had nearly a 15 rebound difference overall. 48 rebounds for the Cavs to, I want to say, 35 for the Wizards. So the bigs imposing their will. Mitchell taking over when it mattered the most. Levert, big third quarter from him. Osman, again, big first half. And another thing is, Kevin Love, limited minutes. But I thought he was particularly relevant in the first half coming in, in the minutes that he gave you. He had one big three. Only one for four from the three-point looks tonight, but that floor spacing is big because between Osman, Dean Wade, Kevin Love, they gave you six three-pointers to go along with everything you were getting from Mitchell. And even Levert was respectable tonight, knocking down a couple on his own. So we're getting enough offense from the guys around Mitchell that Mitchell's just otherworldly contributions on that end, in addition to what is overall very good team defense. Now, I was watching the Wizards feed tonight, and Drew Gooden pointed it out. The Cavs were making it impossible for the Wizards to get into any of the sets that they wanted to. Now, Beal himself, very similar to Mitchell, quite capable of creating out of nothing, and that created a lot of opportunities. And they did get out some on turnovers. I thought Kuzma, he played some good, heady veteran ball, but he simply did not force the action enough. And he gave you 11 points only took eight attempts, which is not what you want over the course of the game when Rui and Barton are shooting more than you. You need more from Kuzma, who has typically been a Cavalier killer in his time here with the Wizards, but a quieter game from him. So anyway, that's sort of my feelings on tonight's game. But where we sit moving forward, we touched on it. 
the small forward situation. I don't know how you can continue to play a Coro for extended minutes with the way that we're seeing guys like Osman and even Wade perform. Levert is going to continue to get minutes. He's too important as a facilitator that he will be on the floor. Osman is proving to be playing hyper-aggressive offensive ball. And unless Okoro is just locking people up, he's, he's just too bad on that end to continue to play him. And if you look over the course of the game, there was only two guys on the Cavs who finished with a negative plus-minus. It was Jared Allen, who was a minus one, and it was Isaac Okoro, who was a minus five. I don't take a ton out of plus-minus. Dean Wade led the way with 19 in the positive column. But there is something to be said for the fact that when you roll him out there, he's such a negative on offense right now that you can't justify keeping him on the floor above a guy like Dean Wade, who in just limited minutes tonight knocked down a couple threes, shot 75% from the floor, even got to the free throw line. But he, when he went in in the fourth quarter there, things were starting to look bad and slip away, and our lead was cutting down, and he faked that look from the outside and drove to the rim and forced the foul on Daniel Gafford on that dunk attempt. That was big. That was a big moment to stop the momentum from going away from you. And those are the types of things that you really just don't see out of a Coro to this point. And I'm not trying to be reactionary. As I said, after the preseason, I thought it was Levert and Okoro, 1A and 1B. Wade underwhelmed a little in the preseason, but Wade is he's got to start siphoning some of these minutes off because Osman has been arguably our best performer at small forward here. Levert is clearly extremely necessary, especially while Garland is out. And Dean Wade is very good in the limited minutes that he's got. I realize he's playing a lot with backups, but I do believe we all know he can do more and the front office believes he can do more or they wouldn't have extended him for that contract. So we'll get to see more over the course of this week, but I think you really have to start looking at, okay, in the roles they've been called upon, if you were given a report card to the Cavaliers as of now, Osman, best guy off the bench for us. Love, more of the same from what you saw last year. Very consistent. You know exactly what you have from him and an excellent floor spacer. Lopez and Neto have both been everything we could have hoped it would be to begin this season. Lopez, I got to admit, I knew he'd be a fan favorite based off antics, but I even love the play he's giving early on in this season. If I had any negative three games in, Okoro's the obvious one, and I think we all expected a little bit more out of Mobley. But again, three games in, plenty of time. And his second game, hyper-efficient. He's just not as aggressive and assertive as I expected him to be. And I felt like Jared Allen is carrying much more of the defensive load. I thought it'd be more of a 1A, 1B situation. And as of right now, Jared Allen is a monster. The preseason podcast that we did here, where I laid out expectations, I said at that point, that I thought no chance the Cavs would get more than two All-Stars and it'd probably just be one. One of the guards might make it because I wasn't sure how much they would siphon off each other's stats. After three games, I think it's pretty clear that Donovan Mitchell is not going to let anyone siphon off his stats. He will emerge as the alpha even with Garland there. But whereas I felt like if we got two, it would be Garland and Mitchell, 
Now I'm beginning to wonder if the two wouldn't be Mitchell and Jared Allen. Because Jared Allen, while his scoring numbers won't blow you away, on a play-to-play basis, there are multiple times in the game. There was one tonight when Zinger went up for the, the dunk at a key time in the game and Allen sent him back. And on top of that, he did it where he kept the ball in play. It, it wasn't even just a block that ended up out of bounds. And he's done it so many times where he had a recovery in the last game against the Bulls where he met the guy at the rim. And it's not just highlight defensive plays, but those are the kind of backbreaking plays that keep teams' offenses just out of sorts. So I'm excited to see as we head into this week. Now the next game is against the Orlando Magic, a team who we saw in preseason I definitely think that should be one since it's at home. The Cavs will be well-rested, that we can expect a victory there. And then an exciting barometer for where we sit when we take on the team that is currently sitting atop the East in the Boston Celtics and a matchup between Jason Tatum and Donovan Mitchell, where we'll get to see which one can continue his dominance over this early season stretch. And then Sunday, the final game of next week, the Knicks come to the Cavaliers, and we can expect a lot of Donovan Mitchell storylines. Now, this is an excellent time to pivot. We've covered game action. We've covered where we stand as of week one. I have to think most Cavalier fans are happy coming out of the first week two and one with a chance to make that three and one as of Wednesday. Donovan Mitchell this past week appeared on Old Man in the Three, JJ Reddick's podcast, and I wanted to touch on some of his comments there. So, Let's get into this audio, but before we do, I should say that you need to hear the whole episode. It's over an hour, a long conversation, wide-ranging in the topics, talking about you know, his college experience, how it taught him to be a vocal leader with Rick Pitino and how that's going to map. You'll hear me touch on some of these things in here with some of the audio clips, but everything was discussed. His failures with the jazz, how he found out he'd be traded what his thoughts were on all the speculation that he'd be going to New York, had his his thoughts on Evan Mobley. We're going to get into that too. And just how he reacted to the whole COVID, Rudy Gobert touches the microphone, league shuts down. It's very interesting because you come away from it realizing what a thoughtful guy Donovan Mitchell is and also the types of things that drive him. One of my favorite parts of this interview was when And J.J. framed it great. He talked about how he was a defensive liability and then used that to segue into a conversation about the very pointed criticism Mitchell has taken for his performance on the defensive end this past season. And Mitchell handled it great. And people will say, like, well, you got to be better on defense. Like, for you, what does that mean? Like, how how do you... Like, it's the NBA. Like, you know, I could play great defense, but at the end of the day, like, you're going to hit a shot. Like, you know, the spacing's different. Like, there's a lot more room to get by, but it was the level that I was getting beat at that I wasn't proud of. You know, like, there's, you're going to get beat. Like, it happens. Guys score, guys do that. But it was just like the point of attack. Like, you can't get beat point of attack every possession. Can't keep a guy in the paint. Be better. Like, whatever it means, whether it's your technique, like, I'm, I'm closing out and I'm, I'm wide. I'm open up lane. You're just going right by me. Like, it's bad technique. So literally, I'm in the gym, like, okay. Just closeouts, closeouts. That's all. Like summer, like just closeouts. Get all, get your reps in, but then closeouts. Just simple stuff. Like it's nothing. Like you said, I came into. Like, I played for Rick Pitino. Like Rick was probably mad at me for like to, for that. I'm not gonna lie, but you know, it's just little things that you can work on, and that I had, I had gravitated away from because I was doing a lot offensively, and I kind of was just like, oh, like I'm I'm tired. But for me, it's like you just 
keep your man in front. It's not hard. That was where I was really disappointed. It was just like, man, I'm just getting beat. But you look at, I look back and I've watched that series probably three or four times. And it's just like the lazy close out and then, and then getting beat. Um, like you guys got to be better, like 110%. I think you have to feel pretty good about that because that isn't your Draymond Green avoid accountability or try to spin it into some, you saw me at my lowest and now there's nowhere for me to go but up. It's just him owning what was terrible defense in the playoffs and through three games this season, if the season were to end today, marked improvement on the defensive end. At the moment, Mitchell has his best defensive rating of any season. And of course, it's easy to do with a small sample, but considerably better than his 111.4 last season. He currently sits at 103.8, which is the best he's seen since his rookie year in the league. And it's very evident when you watch him on the court, that he's hustling to recover. He's trying to fight through screens. He's coming from behind guys as they drive the lane to try to get some weak side blocks or alter their looks. And I've been very pleased with his defense. And certainly it is a luxury that he had Gobert behind him, who is an elite rim protector. But he did not have both Jared Allen and Evan Mobley behind him, which just changes the dynamic things. And he acknowledged that in another conversation about, well, what's going to be the difference between having, you've, you've already had a great rim protector. How is it different in Cleveland? And here was his answer. We have two, there's two seven-footers now. So our defense, our principles are a little different because we have one, we have more length, you know, than we had in Utah uh, at the three, four, and, or the five, four, and the three spot. You're not saying good luck when somebody drives, but basically you're like, good luck. Like the one I'm going to be there and me and DG and the three, like we're scrambling on the perimeter and just trying to, cause chaos and that goes back to really my my roots at louisville where everything was just like it's like controlled chaos you're running around and, and closing out and, and continuously finding ways to keep guys off the three but forcing them in tough contested twos and you know jb man we, there's one thing we're going to do every day i promise you this we're going to do closeouts i promise you that so it's it's kind of crazy how without even knowing i've been working on that now you're coming here and now i'm asking ton of questions just trying to wait to get better because it was a piss poor performance by me to be honest with you defensively and you know i own that and i've said like i'm not here to bring that down not here to be a liability i want to get better i want to continue to work on it but it helps when you have evan J A back there making it tough so it is encouraging to think the things that the coaching staff and the front office identified in what donovan needed to be better at was the things that he already came into the team knowing that he needed to have the most focus on Now, one other negative Nancy thought that has creeped into my head as we've watched these last two games, especially as Donovan Mitchell just took over, is what if we take a step back, at least temporarily, when Garland comes back? Because at least in that first game, Garland looked very rusty, and then he went out with the injury, and Mitchell looked night and day different between the first half and second half of that Raptors game. He was forced to sort of take over in the second half, but he certainly did it. However, in the brief one half of basketball we got of both of them out on the floor it was certainly a slow start and you do wonder will it take a little bit more time to get the most out of both of these guys when they play alongside one another but what Mitchell reinforced was how important it is for the playoffs when guys can key in on just one primary creator and he's looking forward to what it will be like playing alongside DG. DG did a lot last year like as far as having to do a lot and he did a efficiently which is very impressive so i i keep telling them all the time like you know this, your life is going to be a lot easier just for off the strength of the looks you're going to get just off the strength of the spacing you're going to have and whatnot um 
and he's very receptive during the playoffs. My, my first two years and, and I don't, I didn't watch the play on game with them, but you know, everybody, you get the ball right here. Everybody, all five defenders are right here. You know, now it's like, all right, DG's here, but Don's here. Okay. What's going on over here? Now DG rejects and has a lip. You know, oh, we're looking at DG. Here comes Don off a pin down. I'm in the lane finding Jay for F for a lot. Like there's so many things you can do out of that. JB's been great at being able to find ways for us to excel, to tweak, to fit my stuff, and then also keeping what, what DG feels comfortable with. It's going to be great, you know, but there's going to be times we run into things because we haven't played with another guard like each other. So it's exciting to think that Donovan Mitchell and the Cavs front office are on the same page in terms of both seem willing to embrace the learning curve that's going to happen here. He touched on Mobley. I'll just play you a brief snippet of that. Mobley has had a bit of a slow start so far this season. Of course, he's not forcing anything, but I certainly thought he would be a little bit more productive. He's got a bit of a slow start on the boards to begin with and not quite the shot blocking presence that he was last year. However, Allen has picked up the slack and then some. So in that regard, I still feel very comfortable with our defense, but Mitchell had this to say about Mobley. Besides defensively, what have you seen that just makes him such a special talent and has so much potential? I, I, he has the hardship. Like he has the height. He has the hardship. Yeah, like he has like the easy stuff. Like, you know what I'm saying? Like it's hard yeah. to teach the hard stuff. Like it's, it's the stuff that like you can't teach. He, he has innately. Now it's just all about repetition and getting better at it. But like, I mean, I've seen him take a shot fake from the from the uh the high quadrant, the wing, and just take one dribble palm it and just hit a layup. Like you can't teach that. Like he wants it. Like he wants that challenge. Um the only part I get on him about is just being more vocal. He's a quiet kid. When he settles, I wouldn't even call it settling that like, he's a turnaround fade. I'm just gonna shoot over you. I'm not comparing him to Kevin Durant, but Kevin Durant does that. He's like, oh at the end of the day, like I'm just gonna shoot over you. Like that's what Ev just resorts to and it, it's a good shot. Like from a from 14, 13 feet, whatever it means. So like that, for me, I'm looking at that like, you know, I right, go ahead, go to work. Well, I'm obviously sold on Mobley. That Bulls game was excellent. I just would like to see him a little bit more involved in the offense over the course of the game. I thought they got him early touches against Washington, but then we largely went away from him. And Kuzma was very physical with him. I know that he's put on weight and he's put on muscle, but I think maybe I just had unrealistic expectations. Because if you even look at the Vegas lines for MVP, Mitchell, before the year, was something like plus 5,000. Mobley wasn't that far down the list. But just the fact he was even on the top page of odds for guys to win MVP shows you there is an immense amount of expectations for him. Anything short of a big leap will be met with some disappointment, not just from Cavs fans, but from all the Mobley fans that have... He didn't win Rookie of the Year, but everybody came away feeling like he was the best rookie and Jalen Green started the season very solid so far this year. Scotty Barnes, of course, in the first game against Evan Mobley, you can make the argument that he played at least as well, if not outplayed him. And the times when he was contributing, there was a clutch run that kind of put us to bed that Scotty Barnes was a part of. So if there is any bad, I guess that would be it. Mobley is not as fast as you want, but the victories are coming. And with the victories, I don't care what is happening with Okoro. I don't care who gets the personal accolades. I just want the defense to be at the same high level it was last year or as close to it as we can get because we did lose some length in Markkanen. Now let's touch on that for just a moment. We've had one week to analyze this trade that took place. And in that one week, I don't think anybody thought the sentence I'm about to utter was something that would be coming out of anybody's mouth. 
The Jazz are the best team in the league, 3-0. They're at least tied, undefeated, winning against the Pelicans in overtime. And Markinen, as it sits right now, off to the best start of his career. Just three short games, but averaging 24 points, 10 rebounds, and four assists a game. And he's doing it relatively efficiently, shooting nearly 50% from the field, only 30% from three, but that's largely attributable to a two-for-10 game in their win against the Timberwolves. So keep this in mind, too. These aren't three wins against garbage teams. The first was against Denver. The second was against Minnesota, who, by the way, Vegas projected to be better than the two-seed Memphis Grizzlies from last year. So they expected a sizable leap from them with the addition of Gobert. And then the Pelicans, who were off to a great start but lost both Zion and Ingram to injuries. And the Jazz outlasted them in overtime. And it is an interesting pairing they have going now because that front court went from Rudy Gobert to two very stretchable bigs in Olenek and Markinen. And for all the praise that Markinen deserves, Olenek is having quite the impact in his own right to begin this season alongside Markinen and alongside Vanderbilt. So Olenek, in the three games, he's averaging over 16 points a game. And he's doing it on nearly 60% from the floor and nearly 75% from three. So Clarkson, Olenek, Markinen, Vanderbilt, Sexton, slow start to begin with. Tonight, just two of 10 from the floor. And I, I think anybody who looked at this, this season for the Jazz as something that would just be a race to the bottom, the players are having something to say about that because they're playing their ass off. And... Their rookie center in Kessler, he's been pretty good in stretches. Almost a double-double tonight. Six offensive rebounds. A couple of them at very key times and very key possessions. So early returns are that the Jazz have come away pretty good from this deal. It's hard to be upset, though, given what we've seen from Donovan Mitchell. Because while I think everybody is probably a bit concerned with Sexton's slow start and limited usage, he's barely getting... He's not even getting 20 minutes a game yet. Could just be ramping up. Could be a combination of showcasing Clarkson and Conley and Beasley, all guys who could potentially be traded. Now, if the Jazz are really looking to maximize their draft situation, we could find them in a scenario where these guys who are overperforming eventually get moved because unless you truly believe you're going to win a title, these wins aren't helping them in their rebuild effort. So... It will be interesting to see how it plays out, but Markinen, certainly he was a guy I knew we'd miss due to the length and the spacing ability, and he has made an immediate impact in Utah. So as we look ahead, we get the rookie of the year front runner in uh, Paolo Banquero, and we get to see what we, well, where we sit when we take on the Celtics. That will be an excellent matchup towards the end of the week and a great barometer. And hopefully, fingers crossed, knocking on wood, Darius Garland is back in the mix. I would love for him to come back by the Orlando game because then we'd kind of get a game where they could work out some of the kinks. It's going to be tough to get a win in Boston if those guys essentially have one half of basketball together under their belt by the time he comes back and gets thrown into the fire because we're starting to find a groove with Mitchell out there and with some of the bigs. So. We get a little more out of Mobley as we go on, and we can be a truly high-end team. It's That's what I'm saying as of now. I'd like more out of Okoro. However, at this point, 
I think Wade has justified some of those minutes. And we'll take a look kind of league-wide and at some of the surprise stories as we move on in the week, because we do have a long layoff. But I wanted to get out my reactions over the course of this weekend from a back-to-back, because while things started off rough with a loss, they certainly look a lot more promising after two dominant outings from Donovan Mitchell and two victories for the Cavs. So, in conclusion, fuck off Chris Tapp's Porzingis. Your beard looks terrible, and the only thing worse than that Abe Lincoln beard is your teammate's demeanor, Kyle Kuzma, and his general smug attitude towards the Cavs. So hold that L. Take your previously unblemished record that now has a dirty, dirty stain of a Cavs victory on it back to Washington. We're on to Orlando to take on another team that is absurdly long. So thank you. This has been the Fear the Fro podcast. This has been Fear the Fro. If you like the show, subscribe and rate wherever you listen. Our guy, Bob Schmidt, always gets a reaction out of it. Join us next time for more Cavs and NBA coverage.